Well, happy Easter and welcome to Grace. Today we celebrate the centerpiece of our faith and we bring to completion our study through the Gospel of Luke with the resurrection of Jesus. The format of our service today is a little unique as everyone in the congregation will participate with the readings followed by just a brief exposition. We're thrilled that you've joined us today as we rejoice in the glorious truth of Jesus' victory over death and the grave. A few things that I'd like to point out on this reading. Uh, The first of all is that we would recognize right at the beginning, the day that they meet is on the first day of the week. I don't know if you know this, but the reason the church has always met together on Sundays isn't because we're trying to be different from the Jewish tradition of holding Sabbath or a day reserved to the Lord as the seventh day. But we celebrate the first day of the week because on the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead, which means every time we gather every Sunday morning, it's like a little celebration of Easter. We are reminding ourselves once again that Jesus could not be held by death. The grave could not keep him. And on the first day of the week is when they went out to meet him. So that's the first thing I want us to see and uh, to see as to why we meet. The church has referred to Sunday as the Lord's Day. And I think that might be a fun tradition if we got into that habit as well to greet one another not on Sunday but on the Lord's Day. Because that was the day that he rose from the dead. Second thing I want you to see is when the women go out to see him. Very early in the morning. Uh, For these ladies, it wasn't a matter of eating breakfast, doing laundry. We didn't have to pay the bills first. Where were they? First thing in the morning, they were out to see Jesus. And I think that this is a lesson for us as well. That as we think of our approaching to the Lord, we need to make sure it's not an afterthought or a secondary goal or a misprioritized hope of I'll get around to it sometime. But look at these women. First thing, early in the morning, one of the gospel writers tells us that it's even before the sun rose or as the sun was rising, they were making their way to see Jesus. And we too need to make sure we're prioritizing his role and our allegiance to him in our life, that he's not an afterthought, but that we would give him the very best and the very first that we have. Next thing I want you to see is what they did. The women took the spices that they had prepared. Now, there wasn't a lot that these ladies could do at this point. Jesus had died. They knew he was in the grave. There was no more following to listen to his teachings. There was no more sitting at his feet. So what could they do? Well, the Lord had allowed these women to have the ability and the skill and the wherewithal to prepare spices and, and the burial cloths and the proper procedure for what needed to be done. Do you know God has gifted you somehow as well? He has given you a gift that's unique to you. Uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul tells us that God has distributed his gifts among the church, just as Jesus Christ would have wanted. And so you too this morning have something that you can offer to God. It might be unique from the person sitting next to you, but it's something that God has given to you. And we can see that here at this moment, these women are still finding within themselves the ability to serve their God and serve their Lord in the way in which he has enabled them. And lastly, I want you to see where they went. They went to the tomb. I love this. And this one means more to me than anything. Because they went to where Jesus is. In our house, um, my daughter Sadie knows that she can sometimes get away with a little bit more with dad. Right? 
And so when it comes time to have to get ready and get dressed, I really count on mom to be a little bit more strict. Dad can be a little bit lax. But what that turns into is her knowing that she, uh, she has got me wrapped around her finger a little bit, so to speak. And so she will at times say, and when she has to do something, I'd rather be with dad. Now, now, I love that. Love it. And I think that it speaks similarly to the way in which these women uh, are wanting to be with Jesus because they love Jesus. They want to be where he is. In the same way that Sadie would rather be with me because she knows that I love her and she can recognize that. Um, These women, they want to be where Jesus is. And the same needs to be true for us. We need to desire to be wherever Jesus is. Listen, if God were to move, would you move? If God were to leave and move some other place and his spirit wasn't where uh, it is right now, would you follow him? Yes, we would, because that would be our desire. Just like my little three-year-old saying, I want to go wherever you are, Daddy. I want to be with you. We would have the same desire. And you can see that here are the women. Even as Jesus is dead in the grave, they still want to be near to him. And so they go to, him, they go to the tomb. That's the first message that I want to share with you today. This is the message of Easter. Wherever he is, that's where I want to be. Can we say that together? Ready? Wherever he is, that's where I want to be. Let's try our response one more time. He is risen. Amen. There's a few times in our household that my children just can't seem to find the answer for things. Uh, The other day we had uh, my nieces over and one of them uh, just uh, just learning to walk uh, was putting things in the toilet, just putting things in the toilet. And uh, and Sadie just couldn't seem to figure out what to do with that. So she just stood saying, look what's happening here. Something is going wrong. Just, she didn't know what to do. She was completely at a loss. Uh, there was a video I saw recently online, too, of a, a little girl who was trying to solve a riddle. Uh, see if you guys can get it this morning. It goes like this. It says there are, you have to tell how many um, family members are in the family. And the riddle says there are two parents and four sisters, and each of the sisters has a brother. How many are in the family. I'll, I'll repeat it again because it's a math problem here on at church. So, all right, two parents, four daughters, and each of the daughters has a brother. Seven. <laughs> I can hear different answers. And so that was the same thing in this video. This young girl who was answering this is convinced it's 10. She's convinced it's 10, but really the answer is yes, because there's one brother, it's just the brother to all of the sisters, and that's it. But she was at a loss. She couldn't find a way. Um, Even in my own life with Emily and I, the Lord has been working us through learning to trust Him and uh, seeing that we have uh, some issues that seem unmovable, but watching how as we trust God, He provides the solution. What about you today? Do you have anything in your life that's just, I don't know where the answer is. I, I, I don't know where to look. I, I can't seem to solve it. I keep hitting my head against the brick wall because I can't seem to find the answer. I want us to see this morning that the answer is found in God. Even in immovable situations that we might face where you and I would say, I can't fix this. I don't see a way through. God has a way. God has a way. And uh, what I want you to see this morning, it's primarily this word right up here at the top of verse 2. 
they found that the stone was what? Rolled away. That's awesome. That's just awesome. And I want you to know, that's not, that's not awesome. That did not happen so that Jesus could get out. Uh, the stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could find his way out of the tomb. Jesus could find his way out of the tomb without any problem with the resurrected body. In fact, as we read through the account further on into the story that Luke records for us, we see that his disciples are meeting with the doors locked. And suddenly, Jesus is right there among them. And then as they recognize him, even the doubting one puts his hand in his, uh, in his hand and in his side to recognize this is truly his Lord and his God, Jesus then suddenly disappears as well because there's something miraculous about a resurrected body. It cannot be held by the physical constraints of our world. So the stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. Do you know why the stone was rolled away? Well, look at the next verse. But when they entered... Now imagine these poor ladies showing up at the tomb. The one who's the type A logistical personality says, you know, Mary, how are we going to get in? I see we got all the spices, but I mean, we, we're not even going to be able to get in. Who's going to roll away the stone? And God makes a way. Do you see that this morning? God makes a way. Uh, when we see there to be no way in our life, that's just from our perspective. But you're looking at it through human eyes. You're not looking at it through the eyes of God who can do anything. In the story of the crucifixion, we can read in Matthew's account, and I, I would encourage you to do this, uh, that as it gets to the time where they're burying Jesus, some of the Pharisees, some of those religious people say, hey, we remember he said that after three days he would rise again. And uh, what we think is going to happen is that his disciples are going to come and they're going to steal the body, and then they're going to start saying, hey, he rose again. And they say this second deception, because they think it's a deception, is going to be worse than the first. And so Pilate once again has to listen to these hotheads. And he says, all right, fine. Well, take a, 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 a group of soldiers and go and make the tomb as secure as you can. He says, put a seal on it. So that nobody can break it. And if anybody tampers with it, we'll know. And that should solve your problem, right? That should be the end of it. And so guess what? They do that. They go and they put an armed dispatch of soldiers in front of the tomb. In front of this stone. And then they seal it. So that anyone could see if it was tampered with. Now who thinks that's a problem for the women? Who thinks that's a problem for God? Church, I want you to know that no matter what you face, and you are probably facing something today. I, I know that just because that's how earth works. That's how we all live. And if you're not facing something today, guess what? You're going to be. So tell me so I can be praying for you, I suppose. No matter what it is you're facing, I want you to know this truth right here. God will make a way. God will make a way. It might look a little different than you expect as well. What were the women expecting to find? As they went there, they thought they'd find the body of Jesus, right? That's what they were expecting to find. Oh, look, somebody moved the stone. Well, look, it was taken care of. And now we'll find what we expected. And they look, and what does it say? But they did not see the body. And it wasn't what they expected. I want you to know this is true this morning. 
God will make a way, but it might not look the way you expected it to look. But that's okay. Because our God is in charge, and He is good, and you can trust Him. Can we all say this together? Ready? God will make a way. He is risen. I'll ask you once again to take a look at the front of your bulletins. This time we're looking for the pink flower. So if you have one of the pretty pink ones, please stand together now. And if you need to, the words will also be up here on the screen. All right, let's read it together. While they were wandering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I wonder if there are any other uh, men here today who uh, have heard the recent study uh, that uh, there is an affliction that affects only men and not women, uh, which is not being able to find things their wives put away. Any, any, have you read that study? Yeah. Uh, it can be, you can tell me right in the refrigerator where it is, and I can't see it. Can't, no, 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 where it is, uh, where the socks and underwear went, no idea, no idea. And the, the time when this, I see this uh, worst is when I have to uh, dress Sadie for school, and occasionally I have to, and there is supposed to be a drawer full of her socks, but I can never find her socks. Uh, and I have discovered that this isn't just something, uh, well, it does just affect men. I do know that's true. It only affects men. Um, because Sadie now knows where to find her socks. So I'll tell her, I can't find your socks, honey. So she'll come back with two socks, and it's, it's amazing. And here's what I've discovered. Really, it's, it's a problem with me just looking in the wrong place. That's what the problem is. I'm not looking in the place where I should be. Uh, uh, my wife, she knows right where to look so she can find it. If I would just look in the proper place, I would find what I'm looking for. I'd find the solution, and I think that this is true as well for us as believers in Jesus Christ. That sometimes when we face difficulties in this world, when we're scratching our heads and don't know what to do, it's because we're looking in the wrong place. We're looking for an answer that comes from earth. We're looking for a solution that seems obvious to us with human perspective and human eyes. But our answer doesn't come from earth. Our answer comes from heaven. In this reading, I want you to see that as the women are there, my favorite part about about this verse is the preposition at the beginning. Look at this. While they were wondering about this. How good is our God? He, he He doesn't wait for them to have to struggle for months and weeks. They're there and they're wondering. And they don't have the answer. They don't know what to do with this. It doesn't make sense. The body was here, but where is it? It is gone. And as they begin to scratch their heads looking for a solution, look what happens. The answer comes not from earth. The answer comes from heaven. For suddenly among them there appear in a vision these two angels. I want you to see as well, if you were to study this in Matthew and Mark, you'll find those gospel writers only record one angel being there present, whereas Luke and John both record two. It's very simply likely that our two earlier gospel writers are just trying to make it more concise, referring to the angels and their communication as the one who spoke, rather than giving the exact details, which is something you find from Luke, who's a historian. He tries to really pin down the exact details, but he tells us that there are two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning. 
They stood beside them with a message. I want you to know, church, that sometimes you won't find the answer on earth. And if you're left wondering, if you're there scratching your head still, it's because your answer doesn't come from earth. Your answer will come from heaven. It's often been said that when we don't hear from God, it's not a matter of God not speaking. It's a matter of us not listening. And just think of all the distractions that you and I have in this world. All of the things that cause us to occupy our attention on other things. I'm, I miss the NFL. Does anybody else miss the NFL? I mean, it feels like spring's coming. It should be back again. But look, that becomes a distraction on Sunday morning sometimes. There may be other things that cause distraction for you in your life. That cause your heart to be pulled away from God. It's because we're not listening. It's not because God is not speaking. And if you today are left wondering, I don't know what to do about this situation. I'm not sure how to make sense of what I see in front of me. Maybe stop listening to earthly solutions and begin to look for how God will provide an answer that comes from heaven. Can we say this together? Our answer will come from heaven. He is risen. He is risen Once again, I'll have you to look at your bulletins for the orange flower. This is verse 5. Kind of know how this goes by now. If you have an orange one, please stand up with me. And the verses, again, will be up here on the screen as well as in front of your bulletin. Let's read it together. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, when I was young, I, I knew I'd never, I'd never grow old. That's impossible, right? Impossible. And in fact, my wife still believes that, actually. She, she, birthdays just come and go. She doesn't get old at all. Now, there were a lot of other things that I thought were impossible when I was young, but uh, they've, they've happened now. But now I think there are new things that happen to be impossible. Uh, just the other day, we were moving my office, which anyone who has ever come over to our place knows I have enough books. And um, I had not anticipated how I would move them from our second story down to the basement, but they had to happen, uh, even though... If you asked my wife, she would tell you, that's impossible. It's not going to work. And lo and behold, I got a text message from a friend of mine here at church asking if he could come over to help. And I hadn't even anticipated calling anybody, but he showed up and we spent what I thought was going to be just a couple trips, maybe an hour or two. We spent about three hours and 50 trips hauling books. And by the end of that, I slept well that night. But I'll tell you this, I had no way of, of planning to do this. But God made a way. God made a way and, and he provided outside of anything that I had planned. God made a way for that which I thought was impossible. These women here in our story are additionally facing something that is impossible. It's impossible to have someone come back from the dead. I mean, right? And that's impossible, right? When we look at the story of the Gospels, we will see the language that's used to refer to those who have died is not that they're dead, but it's a euphemistic phrase saying rather they have, who knows what it is? 
they've fallen asleep. Now, how hard is it to wake up your kids from... That's a bad question. I'm losing my metaphor at that point. Sometimes it's hard to wake your kids up, right? Or is it easy, right? Sometimes it's, the, it's a drop of a hat can wake you up. Sometimes you've got to shake them a little bit. But you know what? For God, in order to raise someone from the dead, it's as simple as waking somebody up who's asleep. That which is impossible for you and I is not impossible for God. Every one of us would think of those who we have lost, loved ones who have gone on, and to think to see them today would be impossible. There'd be no way. And this is what the women were thinking as well. So when the angels show up in their fright, they bow down because they know there's nothing here that can be done upon their behalf. And yet the angel says these words, and I want them to resonate with you today. The question, why do you look for the living among the dead? There's, there's two really important points we need to see from this. The first is that the angel's response tells them a fact. It is a fact. How do the angels refer to Jesus? He is what? The living. He's alive. He is not dead. For the angels, this is factual, almost to the point of absurdity, which is really how I believe the question has been framed. Doesn't that seem kind of silly? Like, why would you be looking in the toolbox for milk? It doesn't belong there, right? Why, why would you be looking in the glove box for a chicken sandwich? I'm trying to think up. I didn't do enough preparation on this message. You get the point, though, right? The absurdity of the question is rooted in fact. Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead. So why would you go to the dead in order to look for the living? And the second half of this question focuses on how God can do that which is impossible. Not only will he make a way, not only will our answer come from heaven, but God is able to raise Someone from the dead. Something that is impossible for us is not a problem for God at all. I want us to say this together as well. Ready? God can do the impossible. Boy, that kind of deserves an amen. Let's do it one more time. Ready? God can do the impossible. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. He is risen. Well, will you rise with me once more and let's sing I Serve a Risen Savior, hymn number 158. Our final bulletin reading for this morning is the one with the red flowers. So if your bulletin has one of these bright red hibiscus flowers, I'd like to ask if you will stand. It's a short one. The words are up here on the screen together. Let's read. He is not here. He has risen. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I find that I get a lot of uh, fodder for sermon illustrations from my children. Uh, They're young enough right now that they don't realize that's a problem, but I'm going to milk that for all it's worth as long as I can. Uh, My son has uh, a symptom of a problem that I think I might have had when I was his age, which is a memory that seems to forget things all the time always forgetting things. So I say, uh, time to go to bed, and he keeps playing. And I say, why don't you go to bed? And he says, what? I forgot. Uh, Micah, could you go take out the trash? And hours later, there's still trash. Micah, why don't you take out the trash? Uh, Micah, go take a bath. 
Yes, I forgot. And how, how easy is it for us to forget? Now, nobody here struggles with that same problem, right? Nobody here ever has the problem of forgetting what they're supposed to do. No, we know that this is symptomatic of all of us, that we all very easily can forget. What I want to make sure that we recognize on Easter is that our God has made promises to us that we need to never forget. His promise to you and to the church that follows him is that I will never leave you, he says. I will never forsake you. Not only that, but as we look to serving him, it's not in our own strength. For he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, I tell you how to do ministry. That our power is not sourced in ourselves. The promises of God have been given to you. And when we live according to him and his promises, we live with a confidence that the world knows nothing of. We live with a faith and with a peace in our hearts that cannot be shaken by circumstances of life. However, when we forget, well, we end up looking just like the world looks. And whatever the circumstance or the trial, whatever the challenge might be, it causes us to look no different than the world looks. And you and I, we end up scrambling after our own means rather than trusting in him and his promises. One of the frequent things that I hear from the backseat of the car when we're driving somewhere is, are we there Yes, we'll get there when we get there. I simply get tired of answering it, and I say, yes. Yeah, we're here. (laughs) Not even close, but really? We're here? Uh, There's this lack of trust that comes from the back seat. Are we going to get there? How long does this take? When is this going to be over? When are the promises going to arrive? Folks, let's be careful that we don't end up looking just like our children. And so as we live on this earth, waiting for our Lord to return, that we fail to ask the question, are we there yet? And how much longer? He's made his promises, church. He has made his promises. Uh, This is the last phrase that comes from the lips of the angels to the women. Um, And if you have your Bibles this morning, I would like you to take them out just to look at this last verse, because I left the part off the screen. I did it purposefully because I think this is the primary message that comes to us at Easter time. And I want you to see it from God's word. So please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke in the 24th chapter as we have over these last few months made our way through Luke's Gospel. You will find that in verse 6 we have for us uh, this testimony written and recorded By Luke, from the lips of the angels, he is not here, he has risen. But then there's a word that comes after that, that the angel says. You see it? Remember. That needs to be underlined. That needs to be circled. That needs to be highlighted. Folks, don't let go of that word. Remember. For the angels come to those who are in despair. The angels come to those who are hurting, who have beside themselves said, I don't have any more tears left to cry. And the angel says, I have good news for you. God is not found. I'm sorry, Jesus is not found among the dead. For he's not dead. He is alive. He is not here. For he is what? He is risen. That's the fact, church. That's the fact of the truth of the matter. The crucible of it comes to play in your life and in mine for how we handle the very next word in verse 6. Remember 
how he told you while he was with you in Galilee? And verse 7 tells us what Jesus said. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men to be crucified and on the third day, say it with me, to be raised again. Boy, that's awesome. That's it. That's it, church. The whole of your life, your experience on this earth must be found at the crossroads of Easter. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, we are among all people, as the Apostle Paul says, those to be most pitied, for we are still in our sins. But we're not. Why? Because Jesus is not in the tomb. Jesus has been raised from the grave. He is not here. And instead of being like these women with our heads bowed low, shuffling our feet along in the wallowing of circumstances of this life, and don't get me wrong, I know life is hard. I know what you're facing is hard. I know it's an uphill battle. But you can find hope and you can find strength. You can find peace. Folks, you can find joy. What the world knows nothing of, all because of Easter. If you do one thing, if you remember, you need to remember the promises of God. For we serve a God who is not slow in keeping his promises as how we understand slowness. Right? Sometimes we feel like asking, are we there yet? But God's not slow. His apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter that God's slowness, I'm sorry, this is in 2 Peter. He says, God's slowness is not to be seen the way we see it, but he is patient with you. He is patient with you. Some of you here this morning, um, you know that God is being patient with you. You know that he's giving you more time. You know that he's extending your days so that he offers you another chance To move from having trust in yourself, authority resided in what I want to do, and wanting for you to just give your life over to him. You know what that is, church? That's patience. That's his loving kindness. Not to return yet before it's too late for you, but such that you would recognize the gift of salvation is a gift. Who doesn't want a gift? We we have Easter baskets in our house, and we, we did ours this morning. And um, you wouldn't believe that my wife was the one who uh, put them away and my son couldn't find it because men can't find what women put away. But Sadie, she found hers, right? Because apparently women, girls know where to look. But boy, boys, I'm not going to let that go. That's true, you know. Somehow, that's true. Both of our children were excited about finding the eggs, about finding the baskets. Why? Because it was a gift. It was offered to them. And church, I want you to hear this morning that God offers you the gift of a life with him. Not a life of sorrow. Not a life of just keeping yourself strong. uh, Lifting yourself up by your own bootstraps. You know, just work harder. Just uh, put in more hours. Just get it done. God says you don't need to live that life anymore. You don't need to play the game of the rat race. You can find wholeness. You can find peace. And until you find wholeness and peace in Christ alone, you will search for it everywhere else. And you will find every answer that this world provides is one that is hollow. And it might satisfy for a night. It might appease you for a moment, but it won't last. 
And once again, you'll find that emptiness once again in your heart. Church, hear me this morning. God is patient with you. He is patient with you, not wanting any one of you to perish. The wholeness and the fullness of living as a human on this earth is living in relationship with your creator. He wants to have a relationship with you. He's made the promise. And he will keep his promise. Not only will he keep his promise to raise you up with Jesus Christ on the last day if you place your trust and hope in him. And that's all it takes. I say it's all it takes because it seems like a small thing, but it's everything. You, can I spend a minute on this? Is that okay? Um, to, to get saved is simple because it's the turning over of your life to him. That's all. Just everything to him. And when you do that, he makes sure that his promise is found to be applied to your heart because his spirit will testify to that in you. His spirit will convict you to know that you now belong to him. You now belong to his family. It's easy for us to stay at arm's reach away because that simple act of offering your life over to him for us is very scary. It's a very hard thing to do. To want to give to God your trust. Many of us don't want to lose our control, our sense of trust. I'm here to tell you today, you can trust God. He is a good God because he is a God who keeps his promises. And if you know him today, then your, your problem isn't turning over your whole life to him. Before you've done that, you know that. Your problem is remembering. Because you and I, we forget. Don't forget what God has promised. Don't forget Easter. This is the source of all of our hope. Today is the source of all of our strength, any peace that we have in this world. You know that nothing can touch you in heaven and earth. Nothing can touch you. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's not here. He's not here. And this was the great difficulty for all of those who want to disprove Christianity. And some people, some people in our world today, they, they think that the, the whole thing of having faith is just too hard to believe. And there are a lot of people in our world that will try to disprove this. But even scholars, secular scholars today, recognize that Jesus was a real person who lived and breathed and died and taught and the vast majority of them, even outside of the faith, recognize that something happened on Resurrection Day. Do you know why they say that? Because every single one of the disciples, except for John, died a martyr's torturous death for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the deal. Listen to me. People will die all the time for beliefs. Right? The, the, the idiots that flew the plane into the building. Right? Remember those guys? They died for what they believed in. Right? So this happens all the time. But nobody dies for what they know is a lie. If the disciples stole the body, and Jesus really is dead today, then the moment where the sword was at their throats, you're going to die for this. I guarantee you at least one of the twelve would have said, all right, I give. It's not true. We made the whole thing up. We've been just trying to keep this thing going because we, we like the lifestyle of suffering or something. I don't know. But they, <clears throat> at least one of them would have said, this is not true. But listen here, every single one of those disciples died a torturous martyr's death because they saw that which was undeniable. They saw the impossible happen. Jesus 
came back from the dead. When Jesus meets in the upper room with them, they think he's a ghost, right? And imagine if you saw someone who died. You'd think they were a ghost, right? Jesus says these words. Uh, Ghosts don't have flesh and bone like I do. Come, touch me. See. Put your hands here. Feel. Jesus was resurrected physically from the dead. He says, if that ain't enough proof for you, what you guys eating tonight? What you got here? Bring me some fish. And he sits down and they have a fish fry together. And spirits don't eat food. Jesus is proving to them and proving to us and proving for the world. The resurrection is true. And if it's true, then it demands an answer from us. Jesus offers you a gift today. And for those that want to receive that, it's freely given to him. Turn your life over to him and find fullness and find wholeness. And for those who have already done that, your job is to remember. That's your job. Remember that he keeps his promise. And I guarantee you this, nothing in this world can touch you. And Jesus' words are true, that he who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Man, I'm going to hold to that truth today. Amen? Amen. Will you say this one with me? Here we go. God keeps his promises. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Will you bow your heads and pray with me today?